enterprising in my surroundings. I'm finding the quietest escapes these days. This representation of storm brewing amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my team. Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And we got a new sponsor today, and I'm proud and happy to say that it is Ragnar Relays. This is something that I've wanted to do for a long time, so getting them to support the show is huge. So every adventure is better together, and Ragnar proves it with their road and trail races, which are all run in relay style. So there's over 40 races across the nation. They have road races and trail races. The road races are like a 200 mile running race, basically 200 ish. Each one is a little bit different and the trail races are a little different. So the trail races are basically you set up camp and it's about 120 miles ish, but all of them involve eight to 12 people. So if you're intimidated by some of these distances, don't be because you got a lot of friends with you. It's one of those fun, adventurous vacations that It's one of those vacations where you're going to want a vacation from your vacation, frankly, because these are challenging, but that's why you want to do it. And also, it's so much fun. It's a great bonding experience. And every time I see people doing these, I get insanely jealous. So Ragnar is for everybody, every fitness level and any running experience level. It really is just a tremendous organization who's doing great things. And you can get $80 off your Ragnar Road or Trail Race using promo code RAMBLING19. That's RAMBLING19. Just go to runragnar.com. That's R-U-N-R-A-G-N-A-R.com. So today's episode is with Jessica Dorsey. Jessica was someone who I wanted to have on the show for multiple reasons. So she just ran a new PR, and she's been doing a lot of that recently at Grandma's Marathon. She ran in the low 250s which obviously is smoking fast, but this woman has also created her own business in the the running industry. She basically, she found a problem and she solved it. And this is someone who had no visions of starting her own business and really just, you know, saw a problem and attacked it. And that completely fits her personality. This woman is one bundle of energy who literally just attacks things that she wants to get done, whether it's running related, business related, in her personal life, whatever. Like she just sees something that she wants and she just goes out and does it. She is just a force of nature. And I know that you're going to like this episode with Jessica Dorsey. Hello, Jessica, and welcome to the Rambling Runner podcast. Hey, Matt. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super pumped about this. I'm excited to have you on. You're someone who we've talked a lot, uh, actually, about different episodes. You you listen to the show, and not only are you know you a listener, which of course I appreciate, but you're you know someone who's done really well in running uh, over a number of years. But boy, you've really put together over the past 15 months, Jessica. Yeah, I'm. Um, it hasn't been like huge, crazy PRs, but it's definitely been consistent. I've been putting in a lot of work, so you know, anytime you can improve even by a little bit, you know, you're on the right track. So pretty excited about it. Yeah, that's for sure. So you just had uh, grandma's marathon, which we'll definitely talk about. And you had mountains to beach half before that. But I want you, if you can take me back to the training for CIM uh, back in 2017. So that was a race where, um, and we'll talk about why in a second, but which was kind of like a hallmark race 
for you. So if you could just take me back when you entered the C- your CIM training cycle back in 2017, where were you as a runner before that cycle started? Yeah. Um, so until last year, I have self-coached. So I never had a coach. And um, the CIM that I ran before that, I believe it was in 2013, um, I ran 305. And that was when I kind of got a hint, like three or sub three could like, that's definitely possible. So after that, I had my sight set on a sub three, but it took me several years to get there. I got injured after that 305 and it was like, I don't know, a full year of injuries. And then after that, I was kind of burnt out. So I just started running more for fun, got involved with like running clubs to just kind of make friends and not put any pressure on myself to get it. And then I had my second daughter. So I went through, you know, almost a year of pregnant running and then postpartum running. And then it was at when she was a baby and I started running again that I was like, okay, now I'm really ready to put everything, you know, everything in the basket and go for the sub three. And so that, that was, um, 2017. And, um, when I started running marathons, I used a program run less, run faster, where you only run three days a week. And I did that because, um, like 10 years ago, I had a hip surgery and my physical therapist at the time said, um, it would probably be better for you, uh, recovery wise to find a program. If you want to do this marathon thing where you have at least one day of recovery between runs, you know, you can run harder on the days you do run, but to let inflammation and stuff go down, she recommended just running three days a week. So I found the run less, run faster program and it, it worked for me then. And I just didn't really see a reason to change it. Um, unless, you know, I plateaued or something. So that was the program that I was using going into CIM still, I just got a lot more consistent with it. I didn't miss hardly any of my workouts. Whereas before when I would use it, kind of the foundation was those three days a week, but I wasn't really serious about it. Like if I missed a run or even two, (laughs) I didn't think it was a big deal. So sometimes I was only running once a week or, you know, what have you. And it recommends that you do cross training on your other days. I never really used to do that. But during that cycle before CIM 2017, I was lifting two to three times a week. I was not missing any of my running workouts. I was more serious about recovery and sleep and nutrition than I ever had been. I started doing sauna, like heat training. Um, It's when I started listening to things like podcasts and books on performance, just kind of doing everything I could to get there. And so, so let me, let me, let me jump in right there. If you don't mind, <laughs> yeah. cause this, this is great. I, I love hearing all of this because it really paints the picture of the journey you were on. So after the birth of your second daughter, what was the motivation to really invest yourself so highly into running, um, coming off of that pregnancy and her birth? Yeah. Well, it had just been so long since I had trained hard uh, the year that I ran 305, I had trained, I was training hard, but I also had a lot going on in my life. Um, my dad was really sick. So I was traveling back and forth between Wisconsin, like to help take care of him and see him. And just, I had a lot going on. So even though I was trying to train hard, it wasn't like a full, you know, um, everything all in. Um, so when I ran 305, I knew I could do a sub three if I just put everything together. And then after that, getting injured and, you know, taking time off. I had a lot of fun in those few years, like running with friends and I ran some marathons, but it was never like, you know, racing, racing. Like I think I ran like in the three teens a couple times, like 
320s, just, um, it just wasn't fulfilling. Like for me, it's not worth it to like run a marathon if I'm not racing and seeing like how hard I can go. I'd rather just, you know, do a 20 to 30 mile run in the mountains, like, and, and have fun if I'm not going to put everything in and race. So that's basically what I had been doing for a few years. And I just really missed like pushing myself and wanted to see what I could do. Um, because at that point I just spent so many years. So I was just ready and like really hungry for it. And you're just someone who's like really like get after it type person. Like, I, so like <laughs> I'm going to take a detour here because I think it's like appropriate <laughs> considering what you just said. Like, Tell us about your patio story. Because I think this like <laughs> is like evident of the kind of person you are that like attacked this challenge. <laughs> okay. So um, we, we moved into this house and there was like this huge, ugly spot behind the garage that was just dirt and it had like some junk and weeds growing everywhere. And um, I started like, you know, wanting to do something with this space and I was reading home and garden blogs. I'm not like, I'm not even a gardener. Like I can't keep cacti or succulents alive in my house. Um, but I was reading like home and garden blogs and landscaping stuff and trying to find like what would be kind of cheap or cost effective way to make that space usable. And I was looking at, you know, you can get grass seed and plant that, but it might take years to really have, or I don't know, months, years, something before it fills in to nice grass. Like you could do sod, but that was more than I wanted to spend. Like I'm, I guess I would say cheap. Like I don't like spending money on something if I feel like I can do it better myself. So I saw that, um, recycled concrete, you can turn that into a nice patio. It's just obviously very heavy, like a foot by foot square might be like a hundred pounds. Um, but it, it looked like something that I could do. So I searched Craigslist for, um, construction sites that were giving away free concrete. And I spent like a whole day taking like my sedan, filling the trunk with like 10 pieces at a time and hauling it back to my house. And oh my, the people the driving was, behind you must've thought you had like a dead body back there. <laughs> I know it was so heavy and I scratched up the back of my car. So this is me trying to save money. <laughs> like, um, but anyway, I had to hand till the back that whole section, which is like a 12 by probably 15 foot area. And like, I just had like a regular shovel and it was decomposed granite. So it's not like nice, soft, rich soil like you have in the Midwest or um, the East where you live. It's just like hard. And so I like tore up my hands, just tilling the back area so that I could make it level. Um, And then I basically did a jigsaw puzzle with these huge pieces of Decom- or, um, recycled concrete is just like doing a puzzle with pieces of concrete that weigh, you know, at least a hundred pounds each. So, um, I got it started and it started to look great. I, um, was using two by fours with pieces of string to help keep it level. <laughs> like I had like no official tools or anything. I was just like looking for all of these, um, hacks and do it yourself things. And, watching YouTube videos. And, um, within like two and a half days, I had a complete patio and it actually like looked really good. Dude, Um, this story is insane. As someone who like shirks on household projects all the time, my wife can testify (laughs) to this. If she can hear me upstairs recording this, she's probably nodding her head vigorously. 
this story is nuts because like just like the just the, your determination and like willingness like here's a problem i'm gonna solve it but not like solve a problem like there's so many parts of this story that are like beyond the pale for me because it's in terms of like there's no way i would have done it like whether it's like the hundred pound pieces of concrete like doing all the stuff that you've never done before and still taking it on is this just how you were raised? Like what, what brought about this yeah. kind of personality? <laughs> it's like, it's kind of to a fault. Like the, the second day on the job, I say, um, my every, every single muscle was sore. Like you have muscles in your fingers. They were sore and I didn't think I'd be able to do it again, but I kind of I went out there and I was like, okay, I'll just kind of move some pieces around to see, you know, what I'll do tomorrow or when I'm not so sore. But once you start going, just like in a race, you know, like it might hurt right away. But once you kind of get going and you get that energy, like it was like I was getting like a high from it, like endorphins. And like I ended up spending another like 16 hours out there the second day. And I think it's just I get a immense like satisfaction and gratification from like physical labor and just doing something myself. So I think that's kind of it just it was a physical outlet for me. Um but yeah, like I grew up mostly just with my mom. Like she left my dad when I was pretty young. So my mom was much that way. If anything needed to be done in the house, like she was doing it. She just had a very like, I can do anything. And, you know, so that's was my example. Like we did all kinds of stuff, like four girls. I had three sisters and and a mom. So it was just like girl power all the way. Like we would do camping trips. My mom would do all kinds of stuff that dad would normally do. So I think that that's part of it. Did, did you fall in line with her example right away? Or did you have to get, be kind of like conjoled into it as a kid, just kind of like learning the ropes? No, I was definitely the one who was um, just always had a kind of need for physical outlet. Um, so I, I was definitely all in with that right away. Got it. This is important, I think, to like kind of lay the groundwork for just the work that you put into this. And we'll touch on other things that you're doing as well. So you start your your build up for 2017. <laughs> you're obviously a talented runner because you'd run 305 on a training program that wasn't all that intense and that you didn't even take all that seriously leading up to it. So, again, you, you'd run plenty of marathons. So you were certainly very experienced, but also yeah. had, had a certain amount of natural talent as well. When you really started picking up your training in this training cycle, what was it like for you to see, you know, how your body responded to, you know, the the, the increase in volume that you experienced all the way around? So the the total volume, even before um, the 2017 CIM, was never more than uh, like 35 miles a week. Like that was my peak week. Um, so I was actually just looking at my Strava logs, like calendar before we hopped on this call that year, I ran like 1400 miles total. And like right now I'm at over 1500 just for 2018. So it wasn't high volume, but it was really high intensity. Like that program, none of the three runs are easy runs. You have a track workout, a tempo run and a long run. And even the long run is faster than most traditional um, training programs. So I was just, I mean, every single workout. And I'll also add that when I chose the paces for my workout, I wasn't going based off of where my current fitness was. I was going based off what I wanted to run. 
So I think for a lot of the program, the workouts were kind of outside of my wheelhouse, like what I should have been running, like track workouts, like it wasn't out like outside of the norm for me to like puke or just be like literally on my hands and knees by the end. Like it was almost all out every time. Um, so I was training for a 259 and not always hitting the paces. And if I did, I was like really, really struggling to do so. So when I ran 255, I, I was just completely shocked. Like I had no idea that that would be possible. And so that's what you ran at CIM in 2017, which obviously is, yeah. is you know, is, is a monumental achievement running 255. Like, holy cow, that must have been just so awesome. And like you said, like, you know, you were running these 259 workouts and not exactly completing them. Yeah. So what was your mindset like going into race day, you know, thinking about what you were capable of doing and what were you in your heart of arts, what were you really confident in achieving on that day? So I was really set on a 259 and I told myself, you have to at least put yourself in a position to go after that. I know CIM's course is set up pretty well for a negative split. And we had really cold weather that day, which normally I don't like, but for racing, I love, you know, as most people do. Um, so I knew I was like, we have a really good opportunity. And I remember, I don't know if it was he speaks a lot at the CIM um, race expos. And I was, li I was listening to the panel and the guy said like, you guys have like probably the best weather that we've ever had here. Like you have the opportunity, you just need to take advantage of it. Something to that effect. And like that really stuck with me. Like everything is set up for you to run your best here. So I made a plan to go out. I'm trying to think what I went out in. I think I went out in like 128 something, which is even way faster than I had planned. I thought that I would run, you know, like kind of 650s. And if I felt good, slowly pick it up. But when I started running, it just, it felt so easy. And like the, my splits kept ticking off like five seconds, 10 seconds faster than I had planned on running, you know, that early in the race. And so when that happens, it's, it's just so tricky to know. You don't want to get greedy, but also you don't want to leave a really good opportunity on the table. Like if you are just having one of those magic days, which it felt like I was. So I think that first half, I tried to keep it relatively controlled where I, I allowed myself to run like maybe five seconds under my goal pace. But then after that, like I still felt so good. Like that whole race, my legs like never really got tired. Like I just kept picking it up and picking it up. And so I ended up negative splitting and it wasn't until like the last three miles that I really allowed myself to just run as hard as I could because I was so afraid. I was like, you know, sub three was your goal. Like you have that, like don't be stupid and end up blowing up and having to walk in the last two miles or something. But I also knew that it was a magic day. So that was like the the hardest thing, just trying to balance not being too crazy but also taking advantage of the magic day that you know sometimes you only get once in a whole running career yeah i mean what an amazing feeling that is i can just see like the calculus you're trying to do on the course like all right like i want to be <laughs> smart but i also want to listen to my body and, and so on yeah. and so forth and i guess like the, the big thing here like that i try to put into perspective is like you were an experienced marathoner here so it's like your body 
you know, on some level, like the last six miles wasn't going to be a surprise, right? Like you've done yeah. it so many times. And I was just mm-hmm. listening to a podcast today. Uh, it was a recap of Western States. Oh. And they're talking about how like some of the people in the top 10, like they've run 70 mile weeks. Oh and they're like, wait, That's what? Like, like, yeah. like, how is that possible? And you're like, what? and part of it, though, is that they've been doing these ultras for a long time. So they just kind of have it in their yeah. body. And it was like, it was just an interesting concept. Because I just assumed, not being an ultra runner, not someone who follows it, really, yeah, that they were going to be probably doubling that mileage per right? week. Right? So oh, just so, geez. yeah. So it was just so interesting to hear that because, you know, for them, it's like, hey, I've been there. I've done that. And I have confidence that when I get to that point yeah. of the race, like things, things will break my way. So when you yeah. were had that, that, that last three mile stretch, do you remember what you ran it in or like what, what pace you were, you were holding? Um, I don't, I could find it probably pretty quickly. I think I had like, there were definitely low six thirties though. Wow. Like I think like 10 of my last 13 or maybe, maybe yeah, at least 10 of them were in the six thirties and I had like, you know, 631, 633, like, like they were um, quite a bit faster than the rest and than the first half, too. That's amazing. I know that's like the dream for every marathoner to like finish strong, <sighs> but it's like such a hard thing to actually to actually do um, just because yeah. you know, marathon is a grind for everybody. And that's so amazing. So when you came across the line, what was it? What was that feeling like for you trying to Maybe not, not, maybe not in that exact moment, but trying to put this new race time in perspective for like what it meant for you as a runner moving forward. There was a lot going on. So one, like it was way faster than like I expected and expected maybe even for like a lifetime, like what's possible for my potential. But then also it was so relatively easy, like it was just so smooth that a big part of me was like, I can never do this again. Like, (laughs) like I'm like, you know, go out on a high note. Like I'm never going to have another race that just feels like that good. And, and that smooth. And it, that actually did mess with me, um, going forward for a while, just like, yeah, I ran that, but everything went perfectly. And I just felt so good. Like, can I run that again if it doesn't? And so, you know, this last year, 2018, I had completely different experience. Um, it didn't feel easy, like hardly any of it. And then I, I ended up PRing. So that was like, I think a really important race, just knowing like, okay, like even when I don't have those magical days, I can still execute. So, but it, it was very scary, like <laughs> towing the line and knowing that they might not be, you know, perfect. and just the contrast of how those races, it's a long time, you know, a marathon. Um, so. Yeah. And, and shoot, like you just mentioned, like you never, you didn't think that, you know, the part of you thought that you might never break 255 or be at that level. So all yeah. of a sudden, all of a sudden you were there. So what, what did that do for your, your goals moving forward? Um, a good friend of mine was at the finish line. Like he ended up running, I think a minute, like he was super close ahead of me. or or like not that far ahead of me. And so he was right there when I finished. And I think one of the first things he said was like, OTQ is not that far away now or like something about it. And then, so that like right away was kind of in my conscience and on my mind going forward. So that, that was it. It was just like, okay, like I just chopped off, you know, 10 minutes, like 
what's going to take to chop off another 10, 11 minutes and can I do it? Um, so I think that was like the biggest thing, like, you know, magic is possible. Why not you kind of. So you have this, this kind of this new goal pops into your head, one that you hadn't even really had been nowhere near your radar at that point. What did you yeah. feel like you needed to change in order to get to that new level? What were some of the decisions you made? So in my head, um, I had already kind of realized, like, I think I squeeze as much out of this three day a week program as I could. I always said I would be willing to try something new um, if I ever hit a plateau. And even though I, I hadn't quite plateaued because I PR'd with it, I also knew that I like gave everything and in that training cycle, in those workouts. And I didn't think that ment mentally or physically I could do another cycle like that because every single time you run, it's, you know, it's going to be hard. You never have any like easy fun days. You can never run with anyone else because your workouts are so specific. And I knew one, I, I wouldn't be able to just mentally go through that again. And then I also realized like, I don't know how much faster I can get on this. Like I felt like I had already kind of, I don't know, like expanded my VO2 max as hard, as much as it, I could. And I figured I would need to up my um, aerobic capacity a little more. That was kind of the only thing that, you know, there was no aerobic running on that training program. So I figured that would be the biggest piece of the puzzle. And shortly after that race, a coach reached out to me, um, Jason Carp, and was like, you know, because I think I, I had mentioned something about my mileage in my in one of my posts. And he's like, if you're running 35 miles a week um, and you run 255, like you can run a lot faster if you, you know, run more, <laughs> obviously, and um, offered to coach me. So it took me several months to come around to the idea. I think part of me was just like, not even sure if. I wanted to go for it just because, like I said, I was kind of so freaked out by <laughs> having had such an easy day. I was just afraid of like what it would look like if I didn't have an easy day. So finally, like several months later, I was ready and I started training with him last summer and he's um, slowly, very slowly and conservatively built up my mileage. So um, this past cycle, grandmas, I got up to 70 miles a week for two weeks um, and moving forward, like I just, uh, my next training cycle starts tomorrow and hopefully get up over 80 before my next marathon. So um, just building the volume I knew was what I needed to do. And that's what I've been doing. Yeah. I mean, that's quite a jump, right? Doubling the miles <laughs> per week is, is, is a pretty big jump. And when you started doing um, this completely different plan, which is probably more of a traditional marathon plan um, yeah. compared to what you have been doing in the past. What were some of the challenges for you um, picking on this new thing? Because not only is it double the miles, but it's also like double the time. And you're a very busy lady. Yeah. Well, like, honestly, early on, the hardest part, because like I said, he um, increased my mileage so conservatively that like even before CIM last year, my mileage for that got up to like. 50 miles. I think I had one week that was 58 and that was mostly because I was like sneaking in miles, something like that, but it wasn't that high. And he didn't start me doing workouts for a couple months. Like he was really like, you're just working on your aerobic base. So 
I didn't get to start doing any workouts for months. I only did like one VO2 max workout before CIM. And that's like what I was used to doing, like all VO2 max stuff. So he just, you know, it was complete opposite of what I was used to, like low, low intensity. When I started doing workouts, um, they're all threshold based. So rather than running like five, eight hundreds with two and a half minutes rest, like as fast as you can, I was doing as many reps as I could of eight hundreds with 45 seconds rest, but at like not that fast of a pace, like my threshold pace. So, you know, 310 to 315. And like, I ended up doing 17 one time because it's the volume of the workout that causes the stimulus versus the intensity. So I just, I wasn't used to that. Like it just felt boring and it felt long and um, progress isn't quite as fast. Like when you're not running as hard as you can, you don't have a good measuring stick of where you are. And like, that was really hard for me. I just felt slow and um, I struggled like a lot with the change. So when you were in those struggle moments of not being able to tell if you were getting faster or just like things were being boring, what were the, some of the things that you did to try to stay on track so that, like you said, like you did end up PRing. So what were some of the things that kept you in the game when it wasn't progressing the way that you originally thought it might? Um, the biggest thing was when I made the decision to train with him, I knew it was going to be different. And I knew for the first time someone else was kind of going to be in charge of what I did. And I told myself, you need to give it, you know, at least a year and just have patience and faith. And I'm not a patient person, but that was my goal. Those are my two main goals for that um, first cycle. So I, I mean, I'm not like proud of myself. Like I dragged my feet through a lot of it. Like my mental game was definitely down just because I, I wasn't getting that same exciting high from hard workouts. And I, I wasn't very good at achieving those goals, the patience and faith. And then it really wasn't until October after I'd been training with him for, let's see, I think I started in like July or August. I did a half and I was like, I almost didn't even go to it. Like, I think the day before I had family in town and I was like, you know what? Like, this is just, you're not going to run fast. Like you don't even want to do Like I, I almost talked myself into just staying home and not going to the race. Like it was that bad. And that night, like I was in my hotel room and I just started journaling a little bit and kind of sorting through some of my feelings. And I told myself, like you said, you're going to give yourself a shot with this. You're going to stick with it. Like you just, there's no sense in all like all the all these workouts that you've kind of gone through and you know didn't want to you did like you need to at least like give everything and then the following morning I ended up running a huge PR in the half and that was I needed that like had I run poorly that day like I I think I I don't know that I had it in me to continue like sticking with it and I really needed that and I really surprised myself and it gave me kind of the confidence that we were on the right, um, on the right path and that he knew what he was doing. And even though I wasn't running hard workouts, like the, the volume was helping. And so that was like a big, a big carrot that I needed. So what, what time did you run? I ran 123, I think 46, like 123. Nice. And now was that the goal for the race? No, he, um, I think he told me like, 
he knew that I wasn't really confident in the stuff that we've been running. And I hadn't run like any VO2 max workouts, like just like all like kind of threshold, longer run stuff like that. So he told me to go out and run like 645s. And like, what pace would that be? That would be like, um, maybe 128, maybe 128. And, um, had he told me to try to run like 625 pace or even 630, I just, I wouldn't have, I think I would have been like too overwhelmed and like, you're crazy. But then when you're told to run one pace and you're hitting it, then that gives you confidence and like gets you excited. And, or at least for me, and I just kind of went into it and that like made me feel really good. Like, you know, coming way under and feeling pretty strong. So. Yeah, was it like a progression run then? Did you start at 645 and then just keep getting faster throughout? Yeah, I think like the first mile wasn't wasn't that fast. And um, yeah, I just started running a little bit quicker. And then it was Ventura. So it's not like a huge race. And it kind of got spread out. Like there was a big pack of people who are like way ahead of me. Um, and then a lot of people around that like 130 mark. But it was just me and this one other girl. So she was running a little faster early on and then I kind of caught up with her and we just kind of for a few miles pushed each other to, you know, keep picking it up. And everyone races different. You know, you go through periods where you feel a little stronger and then periods where you don't feel quite as strong. But if you're running with someone, hopefully um, they can pull you through when you're not feeling strong. And so she and I were doing that with each other, which made the miles fly. And then you know, you just, you get close enough to the finish where you're like, <laughs> just hang on. So were you watching the <laughs> clock? Were you watch, watching your, were you looking at your watch? I should say throughout, like, was this, and if so, that must have been given a huge confidence boost to see certain splits popping up. A little bit. Um, but like when you're hitting hills and stuff, like, and you glance down, you know, the Garmin pace, it's not always that accurate. So I had no idea actually that it was going to be that fast. Like when I finished, I was so confused. Like by my watch, I took a picture um, of it, my finish time. And I sent it to my husband because he wasn't there. And he's like, did you put your watch in an Ethiopian? And I was like, I don't know. I don't know what happened. Like I had no idea. I was like, even, you know, at the finish, like I was like, wasn't sure if that was right because, you know, I knew I was running faster and strong, but you glance down and sometimes you see, I feel like I glance down when I'm falling off pace and then I see that I've fallen off pace. And so I pick it up and then you don't, you know, you don't glance down again until you're worried about it. And then, you know, it confirms like, oh yeah, I'm running a little slower. And then you pick it up. So that messes with me a lot in races and in workouts where I end up accidentally going too fast because I think I just peaked down at the wrong time. Got it. Okay. So you know, you had a, um, you know, a big buildup this past spring for grandmas and part of that was running the mountains to beach half which you had talked about that you weren't too excited with your time but you were excited with your efforts so you ended up running 124.09 which as you mentioned yeah. just now it, it wasn't a pr or anything like that and considering all the time you're putting into running obviously you want you know pr every race as does everybody else but let's talk about what that race meant for you in terms of what you learned from that race in terms of you know your toughness and just other things, because it seemed like you were, you know, while you didn't run the time that you wanted, you get your A or your B goal, you actually took a lot of positives from that race, which is not exactly how most people would view a race where they didn't get their A or B goal. Yeah. Um, so 
I read a post on Instagram. Um, I think it's Heather runs. She's the blonde runner in Florida, right? I, I don't know people's real names, just their Instagram handles. Yeah, so, Heather yeah, so that, that's, that's Heather Schultz, who's actually been on the show. Before. Okay. Yeah. So I, I saw something that she said, and she mentions it occasionally that um, her daughter always tells her, you know, as long as you do your best, like you can't be upset about the outcome. And I, I read that a long time ago. And that actually is something that I always think about. Um, I feel like very rarely am I like super pumped up, like about where I am going into a race, like stuff always happens and comes up and you have your fears and anxieties. But that is something that um, has really helped me to kind of quiet some of those anxieties and just like, you know, be confident, like you can't control everything. But one thing you can always, always control is, you know, your effort and in your attitude. So that that's something that I use. And that was something in that race, like, I just nothing felt good. Like my stomach was messed up, like early on and like psychic and just all this stuff, like wasn't my day. Um, and like, the, there's a lot of that race where you're by yourself. And I just kept pushing and like, trying to run, you know, faster and faster and um, ran pretty decently for 10 miles. Um, then, you know, didn't finish quite so strong and, and didn't end up PRing. Um, but I feel like there were a lot of stretches in that race where I could have backed off and I didn't. And that was just like a long, uh, kind of long effort, pushing myself outside of my comfort zone, um, you know, all by myself. And that, that was just important, I think. How has this training cycle been different than the past ones in terms of mileage and the kind of workouts you were doing? So mileage, um, I got up to 70 miles per week. Um, like I said, but I had a few like bugs and things going on and just the cycle in general, I just felt so tired. And I thought that a lot of it was the increased training load or maybe like the business that I started. And I just thought, you know, it's a lot like your body's probably just adapting, but I was struggling like motivation wise to get out the door. I was struggling like energy wise throughout the day just to do like stuff around the house, like to help my kids. Like I felt like once I was up and moving around, I had the energy to like kind of go, go, go and get a lot done. But, um, so hard to get going. Like even in the morning, I'm a morning person. I usually like shoot out of bed and just like start getting stuff done. And the past several months, it, just wasn't like that. Like everything just felt so hard. And it wasn't until like a couple days before mountains to beach that I thought, you know, maybe, maybe I have like low iron or something. I know that's something that affects a lot of runners. And so actually the day before mountains to beach, um, I, oh, also sidebar. Um, I started a vegan diet, I think in January or February, kind of out of the blue. Uh, and so I had been following that for several months, but the day before Mounts to Beach, I was like, maybe that's what's been causing my low energy. And so like I ate a cheeseburger <laughs> at lunch, like trying to get some iron like last minute, which, you know, I guess it, it doesn't work like that. But I did see my doctor the following week and got blood work done and found out I did have low iron. And then also um, I was B12 deficient, which um, has a strong effect on energy and then also like mental clarity and all this stuff. So it was like all these things like, Oh my gosh, it makes so much sense. So I think that like 
really took a toll like the last couple of months, just, you know, when my volume was higher than ever and, um, you know, one rest day a week, but running as much as it was like, and then having low iron and the low B12 was just like making it even harder. So not only was it physically hard, like it didn't feel good. And it was just like so much work to get out the door like that just made it tough. Yeah. I think this really speaks to trying to be proactive with that sort of stuff, right? Like if you like the longer you wait and it's so hard because like with so many runners, like we're all built to like, just kind of move past it. Right. Like if you yeah. can't, if with every little thing, if you're like, Oh, if you're like, you just assume that every little weird feeling is like a bigger problem than it really is. Like then you're just never going to get any training done. Exactly. You know? You're going to just so, lose yourself back. Yeah. So it's, it's hard, but I think that's like, for me, I'm into this now too, is like trying to be proactive with some of, some of the blood work stuff so yeah. that, you know, not only if like I'm feeling bad, things can be diagnosed, but even more importantly mm -hmm. than like understanding that, you know, like, Hey, like what were the levels when I'm feeling good? And be yeah. like, oh, well, the, the, maybe I should be there because this can be so individualized too. For sure. I know like that was, you know, I think why I didn't identify it sooner because so much of running is mental and training. Like, yes, you're going to be tired. Like <laughs> that's the point. And, um, so just learning to really listen to your body and realize like what's normal, what's not, um, you know, better safe than sorry too. Yeah, no, that's for sure. So how quickly after that diagnosis were you able to get your B12 and iron levels back up to the range where you know, the, in the more, you know, that was kind of like more appropriate for you. Um, so I started supplementing like right away. I haven't gotten my levels checked again since, um, but I felt better. Like I would say within two weeks and I know iron takes a lot longer than B12 typically. So I think maybe it was more the B12 that was up. But honestly, even just like getting the blood work back and realizing like, yes, your levels are low. It's not just all in your head, like kind of understanding why some of maybe the low motivation and low energy was the way it was. And then also knowing like there's a solution to make it better just get, made me feel more empowered and less like um, kind of out of control and like upset about it the way I had been feeling the months before. So I just I felt kind of hopeful, like going forward. And that in and of itself was a bit of an energy boost. But I feel like within a couple of weeks, things felt better. But yeah, that's I'm a great I haven't point. gotten like, my blood tested. <laughs> right. But that's a great point. Like you mentioned, like once you had that diagnosis, it does ease the mind, right? It's almost like the placebo effect. It's like For sure. nothing has changed within your physiology, but just, mm -hmm. you know, just being able to like shift your mindset can make all the difference. Totally knowing like, okay, I can take this in the morning I can take this again at night. Like I'm on a plan to make it better. And, you know, having that going into grandma's was like a huge uh, confidence boost. Oh, that's wonderful. Okay. So heading into grandma's, what, what were you thinking at the beginning of your taper in terms of how your, how your training cycle had gone after mountains to beach and what you thought you were capable of doing at grandma's marathon? So I get my training, um, four weeks at a time. And after Mountains to Beach, I got the month before grandma's and realized that I only had 
two runs. I hadn't done any 20 mile runs before mountains to beach and like realized like, Oh my God, grandma's a month away. And I haven't done like any, my longest run was 18. I think it just had one of those. And then I, uh, I think maybe 17. So I was just like really nervous. I'm used to having more long runs and realizing like, okay, now I only have two and I only have a two week taper. I've never had a two week taper. So it was a lot of like, just kind of panic, <laughs> like trying to figure out like, I guess I've always done a three week taper. Like, is there any way I can move this around and also get like four 20 mile runs in, but no, there's not a way. And just, yeah, it was just, I was panicked. <laughs> So you must have been running basically close to 10 miles a day if you were putting in 70 mile weeks without doing any like super long running days. Yeah, I had um, several days during the week that were like 12 to 14 miles. Like I, I would do a long threshold run, which would be like a two mile warm up, usually two sets of five miles at threshold pace a short jog interval and then a cool down. So that would easily be 13 miles or more. Um, That's yeah, a huge a- day. That's a huge day. So when you yeah, did that. Yeah, it was during the week. <laughs> oh my God. All right. So when you did that one or you did it a couple of times, what were the paces? Like what was threshold pace and what was the recovery in terms of the actual time and, and speed you were doing it? So I could usually run between or the goal pace would be between 625 and 635 and that was usually pretty comfortable to do like I, I could usually do that um and then it would be a three minute jog interval um I think early on when he would my coach would give me those he would put like eight nine ten miles at threshold pace and that was just like too much and I don't know if it was um, mentally, just like that's a lot of miles, like faster than marathon pace. Like that's just, it was overwhelming and I would, I was never successful in them. And so I talked to him about that. And so he, he built it where I could either do it as one chunk or two, five mile or, you know, six miles, whatever it was, like, um, break it in half and have like a three minute jog interval. And just having that option, I was immediately able to do it every time. And there was even, I think, one day, one time that I did it where I didn't need the three minute break and I just knocked out all 10 miles at once. Um, but I, I just think like not having too much pressure and having a couple options, like to be flexible is important for me rather than, you know, I just, I like to over perform rather than like, and I think that's, you know, all mental, but I, I like to have kind of a range or you know, I don't like having the, what I need to hit like too hard or outside of what I, I feel like I can do. Okay. So yeah. So these workouts gave you a little bit of wiggle room and also gave you the mm-hmm. opportunity to like, to like kind of exceed the median required. Right. So if you ran like, yeah. like you mentioned, like 625 to 635, then on some level, like it gives you a confidence boost. If you can like keep it at 625, because you're like, Hey, look at me. I'm like, I'm at yeah, the upper end or, of the uh, I'm up the upper end of the goal pace here. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, if you just like put 625 and you're like, oh, I hit the goal, it, it kind of provides you a little bit more of a confidence boost, even if in actuality it really doesn't change the workout. Exactly. Yeah. I just um and I don't know, maybe that's a character flaw, but like I feel like if I'm not hitting something or if I'm not like, you know, on pace, like 
mentally, that's really tough for me. So I like having like a range that's okay. And then more often than not, I hit it right on or on the faster end, but just like not feeling so much pressure. Like I just, I don't do well under a lot of pressure, I think. Got it. No, I think that's, I wouldn't call it a character flaw. I think this is just like (laughs) the ins and outs of everyone's personality. It's like why having a personalized coach can be so, can be so impactful because everyone's so different that these sorts of things matter. I guess it's also a testament to like the communication that you need to have with a coach to make sure these sorts of things, you know, get built into the program. Yeah, for sure. You know, for certain people, they're like, if you give someone a track workout, they're like, they always want to like, go above and beyond the goal right mm-hmm. so it's almost like you know for someone like she, I, you know i'm talking to kellen taylor a little bit after this and like she's like notorious for if ben rosario gives her a workout like she wants to beat the workout so if like if you're ben rosario <laughs> and you know that you're probably like okay yeah i should probably Slow dial back what i write down <laughs> so i know she's gonna try it's to beat so it anyway funny oh my gosh that's so funny so you so you go into grandma's <laughs> you obviously were a little worried because of the training didn't exactly like you did more in some ways in terms of volume, mm-hmm. certainly like you went way past what you'd done the previous year, but you did less yeah. in other ways. So like you didn't have like the crazy long runs, but you did do certainly much more quality work. I mean, shoot, man, a 10 mile tempo. I mean, my goodness, like that, that's, that's a <laughs> lot of work. So how confident were you feeling going into the race? Um, you know, I don't know. Like I, I, I like to compare like past, workouts and training cycles. But I think for me, the best part about having a coach versus when I was doing it myself is when he tells me what paces he thinks I can do, I just trust it. Like he's, he's so into science. He logs all the data and, you know, looks at everything, the workouts, and he's comparing my past cycle. And so he told me, you know, I think you can run 631 to 636. And so I kind of just default on his confidence. Like I wouldn't have guessed that for myself. I didn't feel like my workouts were as strong as they were going into CIM, but kind of just defaulting on what he believed I could do. And then also, you know, knowing that this training cycle was like, it was not easy or even that enjoyable for me. And I, I did it anyway. And I didn't want to leave anything out on the table or have any of that be for nothing. Um, so I was just, I was ready to work. So tell us how it went. I PR'd. (laughs) It wasn't, um, it wasn't a huge PR. It wasn't even a minute. I think like 45 seconds or something like that, but I definitely went for it. Um, I usually like my race plan hasn't changed much. Um, even with the coach, because I've done a lot of marathons and even the couple of years that I wasn't like really running fast or hard, you know, you learn lessons. And so I do feel like I have good experience. And so I like to run like the first half, like in control, just, you know, not breathing hard, not like pushing to power up hills, like just kind of trying to stay really relaxed and not engage with other people, just, you know, run your race, stay comfortable. And then typically by the half, I'm feeling really good and want to pick it up and I negative split a lot. So that's kind of what I've always done. And so I got to the half with that being my game plan, like, okay, I'll get there and then I'll pick it up. But I got to the half and I was like working already and like, oh man, it's going to be a long day. Um, And so I knew like picking it up was not going to be in the cards. And so I just tried to 
really hang on and, you know, do that. And, um, I ended up running or a couple girls ran up behind me and they were like, you know, come with us. Like it's easier together. And I was like, yeah, that, that makes sense. And so I started running with them, but like right away it was faster than I had been running. And I started like really working to stay with them. And I, I, I don't know. I just figured like, yeah, you're working harder, but you're not alone. Like stay with them because by, by that point, like the field had really spread out, you know, there's a huge group of women under 245, but you're spread out. So I was, I was just like wrestling with that. Like, do I run with these girls and, you know, push myself maybe a little harder than I should this early in the race? Or do I, you know, maybe fall off pace and struggle to run a little slower by myself. And so I, I ran with them for a couple of miles, but that really gassed myself and then ended up needing several miles to kind of recover. Um, definitely didn't negative split, but I didn't die as bad as I thought and as badly as I felt like I did. Uh, I think my second half was just a little under maybe like a minute and a half slower, um, but not not that bad. And finished in 253.37. All right. And how close were you to that goal range that um, Jason had given you? The, the, the 631 I, to 636. So 631 would have been um, 250 like 250 and change. So a couple minutes, a couple minutes outside, but also I think 636 would have been like a 252 something. So wasn't really that far off of, off of kind of what he projected. Right. So, you know, so obviously, you know, successful day. I saw you mentioned in a blog post afterwards that you're like, Hey, you know, no matter what your goals are, you always have to celebrate PRs because you never know when you're going to get one. And I love that you got it from, from Meb's book. You know, yeah. I, I, I'm loving that book too. I got to be honest with you. I think it, there's so many nuggets in there. Oh, uh, so much. Yeah. It, it Gosh, really I, is so good. Yeah. I feel like I've read the right things at the right time. Um, there was some stuff that I read from Matt Fitzgerald. Fitzgerald. I have such a hard time saying that Fitzgerald's book. Um, before CIM that like really this last CIM that I feel like really saved my race. And then um, I had started Meb's book before grandma's and had a long drive after the race and popped my AirPods back in. And that was when I heard that part about celebrating each PR because, you know, it doesn't necessarily point to ultimate achievement, but what's, what's possible in the future, something along those lines. And it was just exactly what I needed to hear because I wasn't super pumped about it. and. Um, not feeling the way I think I should have. And that just really reframed it for me and made me pretty excited. So what did you learn from this last training cycle that you and your coach are putting into practice? I saw you're running CIM 2019. You're going back. I'm going to yes, be there. I'll see I you am. there. Are you running? Jessica, I am. I'm pumped. Are you running? Yay. Good. Yeah. First marathon in a decade. So, you know, oh my goodness. I'm, 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 I'm nice and rested for this. Have you, have you done CIM before? I haven't. No, I so I was there last oh, okay. year because I yeah, did. You were. Yeah, I did some work at the expos, um, which was fun. But no, so I didn't run it. But I, I'm, I'm pumped. I'm really excited. Actually, I got a call with them yeah. tomorrow. Uh, actually, Tuesday. It's the I best. Say. <laughs> yeah. So it, it, it was. You know, I've I've talked a lot about that in the past in terms of like just the the, the atmosphere is just it's one of a kind. I really I really love yeah. it. That's for sure. So what do you, what do you, how are things going to progress in your training? What are you looking to do 
to kind of continue the growth forward and try to get, you know, chop off another eight minutes or so to try to get that OTQ that you talked about, um, you know, that you that first kind of entered your consciousness in 2017? Yeah, so definitely um, continue building um, some things that we're taking forward from like this past cycle, improving communication. I'm not like the greatest, like I have two kids, like I'm doing my business. Like I don't, I don't like spending a lot of time, like filling him in, like unless I need to, which is really bad. Like obviously the more I communicate, the, uh, better he can help me. So that's like something like, I feel like had I, had I, um, communicated more clearly, like some of the things I had been feeling, I'm sure he would have pushed me to get tested for stuff sooner, which would have helped and all that. So just, you know, using that, like communication is just so, so important in everything you do. And I feel like we finally just are at the place where I have the base that I need. He's done, um, he did some research on all of the Olympic trials runners. I don't remember which year. Um, but just pulled all kinds of data on their training and stuff and kind of average mileage. And um, I think it was about 75 miles a week the females were running. And so that's always been the goal to get there. Um, and it's taken a few cycles, but now I'm like basically there where I can handle that mileage as well as the workout. So I feel like this next cycle is going to be the first time that I'm really where I need to be or where, you know, he wants me for the training where I can reap all the rewards of that. So kind of just building on what we've already done, but have all the pieces in place now. Um, So I'm really excited to see what that looks like. So let's talk about your business. You've talked about a couple of times that you have a business, a small business now that we're, you know, hopefully it's not small for long. So let's talk about (laughs) Wombus because this is really cool. It's really exciting. I think it dives into, or I should say harkens back to your like, if I want something, I'm going to make the change type mentality that you showed with your patio story. Yeah. Um, so there's sports bras with a storage pocket and the pockets liner has an EMF blocking panel. So it blocks the RF waves from a cell phone um, because I was always sticking my phone in my bra. Um, and I tried other sports bras that have pockets, but none of them really worked for me. Like CIM 2017, for example. I had my phone in a bra pocket that was in between my shoulder blades. And I like to have my phone on me so I can listen to music when I need it. But I try to wait as long as I can into the race before I actually turn it on. So um, at that race, like I remember like mile 17 or something, I was like, all right, I'm going to put my music on. I'm really going to grind. And I wanted to get my phone out so I could turn it on. But I like literally couldn't reach it while I was running that pace. And I was like, figured I would either drop my phone or like fall or something if I tried. So I just never used my music um, in that race. And it was the first time. (laughs) So like, that was kind of like the, this just isn't working for me moment. Um, And like, you know, armbands, those always would chafe me. Like I have scars on the inside of my arm from those and like the little belts, like I tried so many, but a lot of them would like either bounce and bruise my hip bones or chafe, just like nothing seemed to be working. Like I like the idea of having it in my bra because it's no extra gear. You're already wearing one. But I just, I didn't find a pocket that like really worked for me. And then on top of that, someone had made a comment to me who saw me like sticking my phone in my bra one time, some older woman, like, you know, you shouldn't put your phone there, like radiation, like bad for your boobs, whatever. Um, And 
after she told me that it was just one of those things, like once it's in your mind, like it's, it's there, like worrying you. Um, and so it's something that's just kind of like on my mind. And I knew they had all these materials that, um, can block RF waves. And I just was like, you know, why doesn't someone just stick it in a pocket? Like that would be so easy, but, uh, no one was doing it. And so I have some friends out here in LA, um, who have experience in apparel production. And, um, he gave me the contact to, I got like a factory in downtown LA and I, um, brought all my sketches there. He helped me make, helped me design a pattern and put together a sample. And like within a week I had like working sample that I was making changes on. And like a couple months later, uh, launched, launched a company with sports press. <laughs> Did you ever have an idea that you'd be running your own company someday? Like, was this, was this somewhat of a goal at any point in your life? No, no, not at all. Like the big thing was like, I wanted the sports bra and I was hoping someone else would do it, but no one was. And so I was like, you know, I'll give this a shot at no point. Like I didn't ever see it like actually happening. Like every step was just like, uh, this is new. Like this is new. Like I, I was listening to all kinds of podcasts and YouTube videos on how to do everything, like how to incorporate a company. <laughs> like my husband built the website. Like it was very, everything was very new. Um, and I thought, you know, worst case scenario, like I never get a, the company off the ground, but I have a handful of sports bras that I can run in forever that are exactly what I want. That's a good point, but <laughs> that's not exactly what happened. So what was the no. response once you, I guess, first of all, once you started building them and you went to the mode of like, okay, I need to see what the potential market is for these. How did you start test driving the idea with other people and what was the response? Well, being a runner, like fortunately I have a, a pretty big network of um, running friends. Uh, so I had people who could test it right away, but then also just like doing the market research, like women runners um, and like the market isn't just female runners. That's my target market right now. But you know, athleisure, like people don't wear jeans with pockets anymore, like carrying bags places. There's so many places are just not convenient. Um, people are always wearing leggings and stuff. So the pocket is awesome for so many times other than just running. Um, but like doing market research just on like, you know, internet searches, um, and those types of things and surveys. We did some surveys online. Gosh, I'm trying to remember everything. <laughs> like, all happened so fast. Yeah, I can imagine. I, I, I can imagine it was like moving quickly. And then what was it like in terms of actually building out your online store and putting it out of the world and and just the, the craziness of like, all right, is this going to work? Yeah. Well, part, part of the reason I felt a little more confident in the product was, you know, other companies were making sports bras with pockets, like, you know, Lululemon did it, Wazelle did it, Sunita, like, so I knew there was a market for sports bras with pockets. And I also know um, people are becoming a little more aware of all different types of exposures, you know, environmental radiation, all of that. So I, I was pretty confident there was a market, but even so, um, putting the website up and having it go live. And when we launched, um, even though I had so many people who had already tested it and given the feedback and we had made changes and so many people 
I knew loved it. Like you, and you know, I tested it, of course, myself through hundreds of miles and I knew I loved it, but like some small part of you wonders, like, is everybody lying to me? <laughs> like, isn't there my friends? Like you want brutal honesty, but you just, you never know. So I was super nervous when the store launched. And then, I mean, before 10 o'clock in the morning, we, on the day that we launched, like we had far surpassed kind of our expectations and our goals, like even for the week. And it was just, it was insane. Like, do you, um, you don't have an online store, do you? I started like, one, but, but it was like, okay. again, it's just like merch for the podcast, which is not, no one oh, okay. needs that. So it was, it was not, <laughs> it was a pretty, it was a pretty short run. Okay. Did you use Shopify? I did. Yeah. Okay. So like, you know how Shopify notifications, it's like a chick ching, like every time there's a sale. Yeah. I got one at like 2am one time. My <laughs> wife was like, what Scared. in the world just happened? That's <laughs> so funny. So like that was just like going crazy and it was like, you know, Pavel's dog or something like the the noise I was just it was just like it was so like conditioned for that noise like so much happiness and excitement. But then even like when sales are great, like then fulfilling the orders, you have this huge fear like all right, now all these people are going to get it. Like what if they don't like it? And then the feedback was just like so positive. I, of course, thought the biggest um, kind of, uh, I don't know, like plus of the bra was the pocket and the EMF locking liner. I thought that's what everybody was going to be so pumped about. But um, what everyone kept saying was like, it's, this is so comfortable. This is the most comfortable bra I own and all that. And like, that was kind of just like a secondary thing. It wasn't like, obviously, I wanted to make a comfortable bra, but I was more focused on like the functionality of the pocket. But then like everyone just like loving it and seeing how comfortable it was. Like it was just it's so gratifying and just made me so happy that like it was working well for people. Yeah. I saw her post today. <laughs> this was about the most, the best week ever for the, for the company, which is exciting. Like we scheduled this call weeks ago. This was not a planned thing. Yeah. So, so what are the goals? You know, we talked about your running goals plenty of times. What are your goals for the business? Um, right now we're just kind of trying to scale. So I've done everything um, locally, like small scale production and just kind of like figuring out what works, what doesn't um, marketing. We just recently hired a marketing firm that's kind of helping us like run ads and all that. But um, right now, the goal is just to scale and increase profitability a little bit. Like when you're doing small runs, like there's your profit margins just aren't very great. So that's um, definitely the current goal moving forward. That's great. And where can people go if they're interested in, in taking a look at this? Um, wambas.com. So super easy, just the name of the bra and wambas for anyone who's wondering, it's just like our slang term for boobs. So you can see the, the logo is subtle. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, well, yeah, I'll let you yeah. check it out for yourself. <laughs> the dub, the W is subtle. To a point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to a point. So that's W-A-M-B-A-S dot com. Yeah. B as in boy, A-S dot com. That's mm -hmm. great. Jess, good luck the rest of 2019. I cannot wait to see you at CIM if I don't talk to you before then. Thank yeah. you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much. I'm looking forward to the reunion. <laughs> yeah, there you go. All right. Talk to you later. <laughs> Bye. 
Thank you, Jessica, for coming on the show. And thank you, as always, to the sponsors of the Rambling Runner podcast. We had Ragnar Relays, we had Tune-Up CBD, and we had Megaton Coffee. Every single sponsor that we have on this show are companies that I believe in and that I use. I want to do Ragnar really bad. <laughs> I really do. So if you have any ideas... Um, you got a team you want me to join? Shoot, man. I'll, maybe I'll start a team. I was joking with Lindsay Hine that her and I should get like the podcaster Ragnar team going. And I was only half joking. I really want to do that. So anyway, thank you to all of you for sponsoring the show. Thank you so much for listening, sharing, rating, and reviewing the show. Recently, the show has been ranked in the top 150 on Apple Podcasts sports category for about a month now. And I can't thank you enough for doing that. Also, shout out to my other show, Road to the Olympic Trials. We're doing two episodes a week over there. Kind of intro, introing all of the, um, basically all the eight guests that we're going to be following all year. Just dropped an episode with Lou Serafini on Monday. Kellen Taylor coming later in the week. That's it. The one and only Kellen Taylor. So check that out and subscribe to it if you haven't done so already. Thank you so much for listening and happy running. This has been a production of Rambling Runner Podcast. This podcast is produced by David Margetti of In Post Media. Thank you to Meta P for the music. His song, Righteous Path, featuring Rex Mayhem and Chip Fu, is produced by Symphonic Bang. Yeah. Enterprising in my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest estates these days. This representation of storm brewing amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. I'm trying to show this industry I got.